0: Well, you're very welcome along to the 21st episode of the Time Out Podcast with me, Tony McGettigan, and uh, it gives me great pleasure today to say that I'm joined by uh, a former star of Gaelic football who uh, played his club football for Caliwi and uh, went on to win seven Ulster Championships, was an All-Star in 2002, 2003 and 2005, Player of the Year in 2003, and in 2011, Became the first player to score a hundred points in the international rules series, and uh, it gives me, as I say, a great pleasure to uh, welcome Stephen McDonald from uh, the former Armad player to the podcast. Stephen, you're very welcome.
1: Thanks very much, Tony, and uh, nice to be welcome there into it as well. Thanks very, no. thanks very much for reminding me about all of that.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah, so a great when you look at that, Stephen. When I was going to be interviewing you, I can look back on your career and did a little bit of a summary, and those are very impressive stats.
1: Yeah, well, I was very fortunate and lucky to to be part of a very committed group of players and and, and a, a team driven towards success, and it was probably part of the jigsaw, right, but you know, the players that I played with, um, you know, I put a lot of it down to them.
0: Yes, the team around you. But yeah, still, exactly. It's, it's, it's definitely hard to do anything without a team around you, but there's no denying them stats are impressive, and... Uh, I'd like to first of all ask how are you doing Stephen because as we know the whole world is, is gripped uh, amongst uh, this COVID-19 and just want to know how you're dealing with it yourself and your family.
1: Yeah thankfully um, dealing <laughs> quite fine with it um, we, where we live we, we are in the countryside so <clears throat> um, we, we were afforded the opportunity to go out for plenty of walks and climb plenty of mountains and see see hillsides that we've never seen even in our local area before so <laughs> Um, it, was, it was, I suppose, uh, in a way, it was great um, to spend a lot of time with the family as well. Um, you know, when you're when you're heavily involved with football, uh, you spend a lot of your evenings away on the training pitch yes. and you know, coaching teams, whatever it may be, and um, therefore family time is 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 brave and restricted. So it give an opportunity to spend time, much needed time, with the family, and um, you know, to, I suppose, enjoy. Life and take take life a wee bit slowly. Uh, you know, we live in a fast-paced world, and, and there's always deadlines and things to be met. And you know, we, you're never really in a rush over the last couple of months to to get anything done. You just took took life in your stride. And um, have to say, you know, I, I really enjoyed it. So they do. Um, there's there,
0: there's definitely been a sort of a obviously the negative side of people that losing their lives and that. But and uh, yeah. uh, the fact that it's gonna it's gonna be hitting. So, so many other things in sense of the economy, and but on the on the positive side of things, as you say, it gives people that chance to sort of step back and and uh, and realise, I suppose, what the important things are in life.
1: Exactly, you know, spend time with your family and friends is, is really important, and it afforded many people the opportunity. Yes, there is the downside of it too. You know, there is obviously. <clears throat> I don't think we've seen. The worst of it yet uh, there will be huge mental health issues yes. on the other end of this and i and I really believe that that will be the case um and you have to you know I suppose be there for people who need need your need their help as well and you know and that's that's probably the one thing that the last couple of months has taught us as well you know um keep keep an eye out for for people who who certainly need. Um, and the we, next we, we would have helped as well during these times. And, um, you know, while we are starting to get back to some kind of normality now, it's, it's never too far away at the end of the day. And you, it's still very important to to check on close relatives and, and close friends as well.
0: Yeah, there's definitely going to be a mental, as you say, Stephen, uh, knock on effect of this. It's, it's impossible not to be you know when you consider the, the the measures and the effect of people losing family members and that it's uh yeah there, there has to be a consequence to that but we would hope i suppose too that uh, that, uh, that you know what they say if we can come out a bit, a bit stronger down down the line from this you know from going through this it's, it would be it would be nice thought to keep in the mind as well
1: yeah exactly and, and one thing that covid has taught us as well is to speak and to have conversations with people once again and um, hopefully that continues. You know, um, we we live in a world, you know, where where social media is a powerful force, and um, I I would like to think that even the youth growing up nowadays, you know, will will have learned that you know spending time and having having a conversation with whether it's your parents or your cousins or friends or whatever it may be, you know, that's very important uh, in in life as well, and hopefully that continues to be the case. Sometimes that was overlooked in, in the last couple of years there. Yes. Um, particularly uh, as I said you know given given the fact that social media plays a huge part in a lot of people's lives uh, online game and things like that there, but I think that maybe took a, a step to the side you know uh, during uh, COVID and people started to realise what was important and, and what was valuable in life as well and um, I'd say having those important conversations with loved ones is, is equally as important. You know, um, I'm probably in a, in a position where, where my own mother <clears throat> um, has dementia at the minute, and and we sort a cu- couple. Yeah, we we had a couple of tough months there in terms of not being able to go and visit her, and you know, it's 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 times like now where we can go and see her that you really appreciate as well.
0: Yes. I know what you mean, Stephen, and uh, there definitely has to be a lot to be said for uh, coming together at a time like this and because um, uh, it, it's a very testing time. It, it, it's an unforeseen time, you know, for, yep. for us. And, uh, Absolutely. All we can do is uh, sort of... Um, hope that we can come out to say us the stronger for it at the other at the other end of it and uh stay together. Stephen, what's yep. your opinion on the GAA fixture pile up that's potentially coming down the track? Well, it's not potentially, it it looks like it's uh, it's going to be nailed on down the track and um th- what do you what do you foresee being th- the case in the sense of do you think it's going to be doable to to manage the club fixtures with the the county?
1: Um, it all depends on what county you're from. There's going to be certain counties um, that will you know, stick to, to the GAA guidelines and go back when they're meant to go back, which is in September. And there's going to be other counties that will, uh, I suppose, encourage earlier training sessions, and, and that will cause problems. There's no doubt um, when the club managers will be expecting to get their players and county managers are, are taking them away from their training sessions. That will certainly cause um, an abundance of problems, but um, <clears throat> you know, if you're if you're dealing with a county that's sticking by the guidelines, I have no problem with the with the fixtures. Um, I've always been a fan of playing regular games. The more games that we can encourage the GAA to play, and um, you know that outweighs training sessions. I think the better and more attractive yes. our games will become.
0: Yes, I suppose that's, that definitely makes you want know, to say practice makes perfect on the playing field. Almost yeah. in that sense, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the more you're playing and. Uh, I was speaking to Father Brian Darcy there recently, you know, and uh, Father, Father Brian was saying that um, he made a point that you know it's, it's a very long year, the GA calendar year, and there's I suppose there's a lot expected of of amateur players in the GA, and uh, when you look at the obviously this year is going to be different, it's going to be sort of compacted into a to a shorter space of time. There is a lot expected of the the GA players, and you know um, I suppose the whole d- debates around the side of the of the fixture pileup. You know, you, you do look at it, and yeah, what's your opinion on that, Stephen, in the sense of...
1: Um, well, no, normally what you have is uh, you have team's getting back with the club season and you have a three months of pre-season yeah. before you, you get into competitive action. And what we have now, we have a condensed three-month season. You know, so you have to condense a, a pre-season all, all over again, albeit, you know, I would imagine if... if um, teams are being sensible about it, most of the the work that they're doing on the training field over the last week or so will be will be ball work which you can do a lot of ball work and fitness work as well but um, you know, you ha- we're condensing what is normally a pre-season into a- everything all into one which yes. is league games and championship and <clears throat> you run the risk obviously of players getting injured but a lot of teams will want to carry a decent size squad now if if they are afforded to do so, and and that will help uh, certain teams, it will it will restrict certain teams as well because they just don't have the numbers. But, um, you know, piling it all into the three months, I have I have absolutely no problem. I am um, I've always been a fan of knockout championship football. Yes, so I have and I that seeing more and more counties going with that there, um, I think is very attractive, um, for the neutral and, and for for many GEA fans, I think. Um, knockout championship football brings um, something different back to the back to the table. So those a lot a lot of boys would about that for uh, pressure as well. Absolutely, you yeah. know. And on any given day, even the favourites can be beat. And and that's what I I like about championship football when it's not out. You know, um, you can you can upset a team who are strong favourites on any given day and go ahead and knock them out of the championship. And then it, it makes it pays the way for other teams to. Have a wee bit of relief to kick on and try to be successful at championship level, and that—that's the beauty about it. There's, there is there is a lot of pressure. There's no doubt about it. But um, the beauty about it is, you know, you know where you where you stand in terms of, you know, if you don't turn up and perform on the day, then your your championship season is over. But I I like the fact that it is not good championship in most counties. I like the fact that um yes leagues have more or less been cut in half and. There, there will be uh, competitive football before championship, um, and there is a condensed season, but games are week in, week out. And um, you know what, what, what I do enjoy about it when the season does kick into gear is that you know team a team will maybe only have one to two training sessions uh, to to one match. So. You know, instead of maybe having five or six training sessions to one match, which is generally the case.
0: Yes, I know what you mean. It's, gonna, it's definitely going to add in a, a very um, interesting, it's going to be an interesting watch for the spectators. And of course, uh, Danny and her owner, are going to be meeting in the Ulster Championship and uh, yeah. a winner uh, takes all. And it's, uh, that's going to be fascinating in itself. And there, there's word now that that's going to be moved to a neutral venue too, Stephen.
1: Yeah, and I, I might have seen. Um, you might be able to correct me that Crewe Park could be an option for that game as well. Could so,
0: possibly be with the attendance,
1: yeah. Well, in 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 reality, <clears throat> you've got the two best teams in Ulster football, you know. So, um, one of the the favourites for the Ulster Championship is going to be gone after after day one. So, um, you know, that's an attractive proposition for the rest of the teams in in the province. So it is, it is. um. You know, Armagh play Derry in the first game. Any one of those teams can win that game and the winners of that game play the winners of Derry, Donegal and Throne. And, and that, that that sets up probably a local rivalry or a rivalry that has been there in the last 15, 20 years. Yes. And, you know, also another attractive um, game as well. So uh, the fact that, you know, if from my own county of Armagh were fortunate enough to beat Derry, I would love to see them, uh, you know, give everything that they have against the Throne or against the Donegal in in the semi-final of Ulster. And, you know, on any given day, as I said earlier on, any team can beat anyone. But even even though Donegal and Throne are a step ahead of the rest of the pack, you know, there's something exciting about what's coming through in Armagh.
0: Definitely, the Dharma scene is is definitely uh, rebuilding, uh, Stephen, and um, definitely talking more about that in in part two of the of the of the podcast. Before I move, move on, Stephen, to the to the next couple of songs that you've picked here, I want to talk about your business and your the that you're involved in.
1: Yeah, well, I set up a, a company a couple of years ago uh, called Site Crew Limited. Um, I've been involved with the recruitment industry in construction for the last 15, 16 years, and there was an opportunity for me to set up my own company. What I do is I specialize in, in permanent and contract placements. To the construction and industri- and engineering industries in in Ireland, UK, and in Europe, and um, I I mainly deal with professional uh, placements such as site managers, engineers, quantity surveyors, CAD technicians, project managers. So, I'm um, always on the lookout um, for for strong, quality candidates, and I I know that many people you know with the outcome of of COVID have lost their jobs. So, if anyone is looking, um, to help or is looking some kind of assistance in trying to find a new job, then I, I would be available to, to help them in, in some capacity, hopefully. But also I'm, I'm always looking for, for clients to place these highly skilled people with as well. So um, I am a young uh, business, um, so, you know, who knows where i would be in a couple of months' time with the idea you know, the other end of this COVID uh, outbreak. So, um, like, a, like a lot of other businesses, um, I'm quite concerned as a business owner right now, uh, but you have to have your, your worries, but you also have to have a positive mindset too.
0: Well, definitely the, the positive mindset has to be taken into account, And uh, Stephen, and I would say you, you definitely enjoy the work that you're involved in, Stephen, and you, you, would, you would hope that, you know, the likes of your, your business will get support as well, like from, from outside. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, listen. Um, I suppose the the line of business that I'm in, uh, I'm dealing with many
0: different personalities
1: on a day to day basis, and and I love building up r- rapport with with good candidates. I love building up rapport with clients, and um, it's it's all about connecting both with each other and, and making sure it's the right fit. And it is an enjoyable job, I have to say. And um, when you get it right, when you when you make uh placements, you know the way I look at it is, uh, you know you're, you're Investing in the future for, for somebody else, so yeah, you you're giving them an opportunity for for a career path, and um, hopefully I can continue that uh, in the years to come.
0: Yeah, it's very important, Stephen. And I would say you take great pleasure in it by, by the signs, yeah. There. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, before we go on to your time with Armah, I'd like to talk about Armah the, the current day, and uh, there's a lot of optimism in Armah at the minute.
1: Yeah, there certainly is. Um, you know, Arma are sitting two games away from. Potentially being back in Division One, and for a team that um, you know is is an attractive team to watch uh, with their free flowing football, I think the only place that they will really learn and develop um, will be playing against the stronger teams in the country, the likes of Dublin, Galway, Donegal, Kerry. Teams you get there. That's that's where you really test yourself yes. uh, on a regular basis and really find out um, what it's all about and. Um, you know, the the I suppose the ball is really in their court. They, they have to play Roscommon and they have to play Claire in the last two National League fixtures to get themselves to that uh, position. But um, I would say, from Kieran McGinley's point of view and the uh, current squads' point of view at the start of the the campaign, you know, getting gaining promotion would have been a priority. And and they're really um, just. Uh, a couple of steps away from that now, and, and from an Arma fans' point of view, we all believe that you know that would be a making of of this current team because there's something special built in there.
0: Well, you have to pitch your wits against the best, as you say, and f- what, from an outsider looking in at Arma, it seems to me that you yes, have almost went back to basics in the sense of starting with that. You have a lot of younger players coming through there, but as you say, it's got to the stage now where it's simmering it's nicely. You know, yeah,
1: exactly. You know, for any team to be successful, you need um, you need youth, youth coming through the ranks, but you also need that blend of experience there too. And might have that. You, you look at Rory Grugan, an all around minor when uh, when player um, Andy Mernon, who plays. Uh, in the full forward line, a fantastic um, player who was part of that all ireland minor winning team of 2009 also. And then you've got Aidan Forker, Brenton Donahue. There's good experience in that team, along with the, the young talented players coming through, the two O'Neill brothers, Sarshin and Rain O'Neill. Fantastic. Yes. Fantastically talented uh, guys. You know, Charlie O'Burns, um really made his mark on the yeah. Championship campaign last year. Um, good athletic midfielder that has Great ability at driving forward and, and, and getting scores for the team as well. And um, I just think that, you know, there's a great mix there at the minute and an exciting mix that um, certainly keeps us Armagh fans optimistic for the future.
0: That's an area of any team that for me is, is pivotal, is having that <clears throat> big field of the fielder that can drive through the middle because without that, you know, you're, you're struggling to get the ball into the forward line. <laughs>
1: Yeah, absolutely. And Jolly Oaks a uh you know, a gifted footballer, so he is a naturally talented player and um if you've got if you've got somebody with the ability that can drive forward but also um with the ability that can defend and and link play from defence to attack um like he can, um is a great asset. also his his cash ability, ball and ability around the middle of the field is a fantastic asset uh, for our too, you know. But um <clears throat> There's there's plenty of good options, you know. You've got Ethan Rafferty who can stand in towards midfield as well. You've got um Stephen Sheridan, another athletic player who who plays midfield from time to time. There's there's plenty of options for our in around the midfield um Quarter of the, of, of the pitch and, you know, with Charlie Oak for me will be a nailed on player in there. Now Grimley, you know, now Grimley has really uh, made his mark over the last couple of seasons. I was fortunate enough that the coach and manage now at under 21 level and he's really kicked on in his career and yes. has made that midfield spot his own. And another player like Charlie Oak who is very athletic, great cash and ability and, and, you know, from time to time, kicks the freeze for Armagh. So that, you know, a player who can do that from midfield shows that um, there's, there's good natural talent there.
0: Yeah, and definitely it's going to be very interesting to see this progression of the Armagh team over the next couple of years. And uh, from listening to you there, I sense great um, optimism that you're, you're getting. <laughs> there's, there's, op-
1: there's great optimism uh, because there's a very talented group of players there. A talented group of players that um, give their all to Kieran McGuinney and to Armagh. Um, and, you know, it certainly would be a setback to them if they weren't to the game promotion to Division 1. It would be a setback to, to the supporters as well, because ultimately, you know, for them to take their game to the next level, they have to do, you know, uh, yeah, they personally know. on their re- own. They really do need to be playing against the best teams in the country. And that's no not disrespecting the teams in division two but to be playing division one football is where you really learn more about yourself. And for those players, um I, I really believe and I be confident that they are good enough to go up and compete with the best. And it's just a case of making sure that they make uh, gain promotion this year, to get up there and and put themselves in a very strong position for the next couple of seasons.
0: It's interesting too, watching, like is a any goldman, watching Kieran McGuinney's progression as a manager, you know, obviously that spell in Kildare, you know, he done some good things in Kildare, but ultimately against the juggernaut that was Dublin, and, you know, in a sense of it was going to be hard for him to ever uh, win anything much in, in Leinster, but I think he'd be brought no. Kildare on, and, and now it's interesting to see, given the time with Armagh, that, that he is he certainly having an impact.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You you know, when you think back to his time in Kildare, um, he was really only one point away from getting into an All-Ireland final in 2010. And, you know, if you speak to any of the Kildare players who would have played under Kieran, they always you know, have great admiration and great respect for Kieran. And and that's the exact same for the current group of RMAP players. I've never heard an RMAP player have a bad word to say about Kieran. And, you know, Kieran has had time now, and you can really see you know, I suppose his footprint on the team as well. Now, you know, he, he demands a high level of energy and work rate from his, from his players, but he allows his team to, okay. to play long direct football. And, and that was, uh, I suppose, a carbon copy of how he played as a footballer as well. You know, I, I was on the receiving end of many of Kieran's yeah. long direct passes and and he certainly has his team playing uh, the exact same way at the
0: minute. Yeah, and that brings me nicely on to the to the next point, which is basically talking about your own time, Stephen, whether I'm a... And yeah. uh, I'd be interested to know, just looking back at the uh, the, the beginning of the story, you know, obviously Brian McElinden there and Brian Canavan. They, you, you'd you won two Ulster titles before Joe Cairlin yeah. came in. And I would just be interested to know, like, those two men, I would say, looking from the outside, were were two pivotal figures in what we saw begin under Joe Cairlin. Oh,
1: yeah. Absolutely. You know, um, <clears throat> I suppose the, the players you played under the two brands would never... Underestimate the impact they had. Another that, that Armagh team that went on to uh, national success, um, they were critical in terms of preparing the team to to try to get a stranglehold on Ulster football, and they instilled a lot of um, graft and hard work into the team. And a lot, you know, they were there for a number of seasons where Armagh were knocked out of the championship um, in in the first round. So they had, uh, I suppose. A lot to learn as well, but you know when we tasted success for the first time in '99, and um, you know that was the rewards of a couple of years of hard hard work and probably is of of, of of hurt and pain as well. But you know they stuck it out and and they definitely instilled the drive to succeed in that mask squad and. You know we would respect those two managers, you know, went and um, for what the what they went on and done, and, and yeah. effectively they opened the gates for Armagh to kick on and become the force that they, they did.
0: The the shape, like you, I know Joe had obviously before I go on to Joe. Joe obviously brought you on to as I say that the glory with Sam, but there always needs to be the beginning of a shaping of a team as well. And uh, absolutely, yeah. For me, looking back at Armagh and that period. I always find that looking at those two that they, they would have played an important uh, part in that and Joe Kian himself um uh, Stephen uh, before we go on to what he achieved with yourselves, uh, what a he was a great player himself people a lot of GA fans will know this like but he was a two-time all-star in 77 and 82 and won five, five county championships across McGlenn and I suppose the point of me referencing that is he came in as a winner Tarma, with the intention of going to the top. Yeah, and you having
1: that winning mentality, you know, is very important to instill that belief into your uh, squad of players as well. And Joe certainly had that, and he had about himself too. You know, Joe was a massive, massive presence, a massive figurehead in our math football. And when he came in, you know, we were certainly prepared to listen. I suppose with the two brands, the the two years they opened the door They showed us what it was like to taste yes. success. And when you get that success, you want to really kick on. And, and keep getting back to to the table. Yeah, exactly. And uh, probably, unfortunately, for the two brands, you know, and um, there was one or two things that we were, we were lacking at lacking on uh, under their guidance. And and Joe came in and you know really instilled the confidence, which is one of the things that we were probably lacking on on the national level. And um, Joe instilled that confidence into the team. He he added a few extra fresh faces. Roland Clark is is the one outstanding candidate that yeah. I'm talking about. And and Joe's seen for such a young lad that he had the mentality to play at such a high level, and um, it was his foresight to, to throw him in there. Also, um, you know Joe's planning and preparation for getting the team right. You know when when I look back at those times, you know there really was no no stone left unturned that uh, for us to be successful, yeah. and um, we we were probably. The leading team at the time in terms of how we prepared for for games and campaigns and and the measures that we went to 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 ensure success uh, followed us and you know Lemanga was was one crucial example of that there and um, the the management team that Joe assembled and put together was another uh, crucial aspect of it and it, it was just really and truly you know it was made easy for us. Yeah, uh, from a manager's point of view that, you know, everything was laid out for us just to go and perform and and, and play at our maximum best and yeah. um while, while all the, the nuts and bolts of it was done by Joe and his management team in the background.
0: He came in, in the in the winter of two thousand and one, he was appointed, I think November two thousand and one. Yeah. And uh, what's your memory, Stephen, of the two thousand and two All Star Championship when that all that, that great summer started for
1: you? Yeah, well we had we had a decent league champion, um so we did in 2002 and so we, we get into a win and have it early on with Joe and um, then there was a good gap, maybe a, a six to seven week gap between league and championship and as it was always the case back then and um, so it gave us plenty of time to prepare and, and get ourselves right for the for the opening round game against Throne and in that time uh, Joe decided to take us away to Lamanga. We were heavily criticised for it at, the, at that time and we often remember going up the, the hill in Clonis where we were going over to the warm-up pitch and supporters from Throne asking us where our towns were and Throne were expected to win that game they were favourites going into that match they'd won the National League and they had uh, a young team that had tasted more um, ireland success at under-21 level so they were coming uh, really strong at the time as well and we were seen as probably a span force but you know we were a very hungry and driven team as well and uh, we drew it, through that that first day out, and a lot of people thought that we missed the boat. But to come back in the replay and beat them, you know, uh, I suppose made people realise that um, you know we were a force to be reckoned. But once again, and you know, we we seen that as a massive step, and in, in in not only our confidence, but a massive step towards us trying to regain uh, an Ulster title again because Throne back then in reality were our main rivals and competitors and uh, if, if we could overcome them then you know we would automatically become the favourites to win Ulster.
0: What would you say before we move on to the what happened in Ulster final in 2002 and that, what would you say was the main benefit of uh, La Manga was it the bringing together of the team?
1: Well, it, there's different aspects of it. Um, When you're away like that, Dar, you know, you're afforded the opportunity to get in two training sessions per day. Uh, so we, we trained early in the morning. You, you've got all the proper food. You're eating properly for, for a full week. Um, Everything's laid out for you. Then you're doing a proper training session in, in the evening. You're getting good recovery sessions in the pool. Um, And not only that there, then... Uh, and even times were spent um, analyzing our opponents as well, and and having team meetings, and and that was crucial, you know, because we really seen it as an opportunity to um, really gain an advantage over our opponents in terms of where where their strengths lay, where their weaknesses lay, and it, it allowed us an opportunity to watch uh, plenty of footage on on them as well, and not only on, on them, but to watch footage on ourselves and what we were good at too. So it was, it was a real opportunity for us to. Analyze our opponents, an opportunity for us to analyze ourselves, but also to get in ten to twelve valuable uh, training sessions. Yes. Where if we were if we were at home, we would have only managed maybe three in that period of time.
0: Yeah, it's it sort of come back to what you said about Joe Kernan. He, he was just making sure that there, there was no stone left unturned and unturned and the preparation. And like you come in then to the Ulster final, no two uh, Stephen, and what's your memories of that? <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, we we were playing Donegal, and um, you know, we the last time before that we we had played Donegal, and the Ulster Championship was '99, I believe, and we were fortunate enough we got a, we got an early enough goal. I think uh, Jimmert took a shot, um, that was half blocked down, and it bounced in front of Tony Blake, and. I'd say Tony regrets it to this day. He probably should have come out and and, uh, beat the bounce, but um, it bounced in front of him. It was an awkward enough bounce to come off the crossbar and rebound it back and John McAtee followed in and panned it to the net. So um, that got us up and running. It put us maybe three, four points up on Donegal early on the game. So it allowed us to gain a stranglehold in the game early on. And I really felt that we were comfortable throughout that Ulster final. If truth be told, um, we always felt that um, if you can get an early start on Donegal, then you know they wouldn't have had the mentality to to get themselves back into the game, and and we just seen the game out. So we did, we did four um, points. I think
0: is won that by well,
1: yeah yeah four four points yeah, uh, and for us it, it was an important statement to to say that you know we've won three Ulsters out of the last four now. We're going to the All Ireland stage, but. There, there, at the same time, there were still maybe doubts uh, throughout the country that that current Armagh team couldn't go to Crook Park and, and, and get a result. And, um, But we were fairly confident that we could. We were never yeah. uh, too, too far away from getting a result in Crook Park in the three previous years. So it was just a case of, of uh, going in with the confidence, the renewed confidence that Joe had instilled in the players and taking that uh, into Croke Park and you know Ulster championships are never too easy one no. if you can win an, an Ulster championship you've always earned it. and yeah. you know what I always say some of the defenders that uh, mark in the Ulster championship are some of the tightest that you've ever been marked
0: by with
1: limited space as well so yeah. if you can perform there you can certainly perform yeah. in, in the more open spaces of Cook Park against defences that probably uh, won't mark you just as tightly
0: yeah and over that period, Stephen, like before, we move on to what happened in the, in the Sam McGuire series in 'o two.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: There is no doubting it, it broke my heart and broke many Donegal man's hearts um, over the years. He has definitely had the Indian sign over Donegal, and maybe that came with momentum of you know getting a few wins over Donegal. You know you had a good feeling going into them games. But what would you say? Yeah. What would you say was the was the key one of the, amongst the key factors in, in you sort of building that sort of dominance over Donegal?
1: Yeah, um, early starts, you know, we we never took Donegal for granted in terms of the talent that they had, we always knew that they had fantastically talented and gifted players, you know, Adrian Sweeney, Brenton Devaney, um, Brian Roper, they are all fantastic players who they were, and if you give them an opportunity, they'd really punish you, um, and, you know, what well, we always try to pinpoint was get a good early start in Donegal and their mentality won't be as strong as what our mentality would be like and, and they will collapse. But in the games that we really struggled against in Donegal against, against Donegal, you know the, we, we didn't get that early start and allowed them the opportunity to build momentum and if you allowed Donegal the opportunity back then they could punish you. You know, the All-Ireland semi-final into 0-3 was one example. I think we threw at them in, in the uh, first or second round in, in 2005 was another example so, um, but you know, I suppose having the belief of knowing that, you know, we have constantly beat this team over the last number of years as well. That's what um, I mean. You ha- brought up haves, a team. Ha- Yeah, yeah have things too. And, and it, with that there, it, it plants a few doubts in their head as well. You know, when the yeah. going gets tough, um, that, you know, ha- had the g- really got the battle to see it out. And, um, you know, we had the Indian thing over Donegal. <clears throat> um, and it was something that we always wanted to target, was get a good early start. But it wasn't and arrogance or cockiness, we just knew that there were certain teams that we could beat. For example, that Donegal team could always beat Theron. Yeah, so we could. You know, right. they never had any fear over Throne. but for some reason, they had that doubt, that mantled out uh, when, when they were coming in against their shelves. As were games between ourselves and Throne were always very, very much up in the air, or 50-50. So they it was work. never that they were... Yeah, it was never that they were a million miles away, but it was just that we had that Indian sign and that who yeah. over them and, and we knew how to beat them.
0: I think Johnny Gall, actually, now that you mention it, you sprung a, a memory in mind. I think it was actually Donegal under um, a great performance from Colin McFadden that uh, dethroned our, our throne in 2004. I think
1: yeah, it was. And, yeah, and you yeah. Know, my, my my understanding of it at the time was that um, the Ulster Council, um, you know, on the back of our man thrown in the all ireland final in 2003 brought brought the Ulster final to Croke Park in the hope that both teams we were we were kept apart in the in the in the draw for the Ulster Championship in the hope that both teams would get to the final and Donegal upset the odds and, and it was ourselves and Donegal in the final and That's right. Um you know and we we beat them quite comfortably in that final uh too. So we did, you know, after them beating the All Ireland uh, yeah. champions, yeah. yeah in, in the semi final, we went to Crow Park and and beat them convincingly. But you know, it was the same then in two thousand and six. You know, um Donegal done the exact same, beat thrown against the odds, and and went to the All the final at Crow Park, and and we be, we beat them again. I yeah. think it was only by a point or two this time around, but it was, yeah. You, you know, we still we still managed to get over the line against them, but. Um, you know, it, it was something that that Donegal team would always do, was, was beat through them, but they just didn't seem to be able to get themselves over the line against us.
0: I, th- I think, funny enough, that 06 final, I might be wrong in saying this, but I was at that game, and I'm really sure that game was on the same day as the World Cup final.
1: <laughs> it was. Uh, and I know I know it was, because I remember, <laughs> that was the famous Zidane incident, right. uh, yeah, Italy and France, because I can remember um, going back to the Carradine Hotel, uh, and we had the cup obviously, and that that uh final was on at that particular time yes. when we were in having our having our uh team meal, and um yeah, it was the exact same day. It was it was also yeah. the day Paul McGrain put a rifle past uh big what do you call him Big Dargan Paul, Paul Durkin, and,
0: Durkin, yeah. Durkin yeah. Yeah. yeah and yeah, uh, and that was a sort of I can remember coming out of that, and I'll tell you what the the traffic jam was back to Donegal from Dublin that day. There was a huge yeah. attendance in, in, in Crow Park, and uh, no wonder why, like, because uh, two great Ulster teams going going head to head in Crow Park. And Stephen on to now the 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 Sam McGuire itself, and no 2 and of course he's overcame Sligo in the quarter final. And um, I remember, I can still vividly remember me mind watching on TV the, the Sea of Tangerine in in Crow yeah. Park, and uh, it was uh, they were great. They were great games, even though he's got the upper hand in Sligo. That that game even sticks out in my mind.
1: Yeah, I know it was a great game of football. Sligo were a team um, that was coming through, you know, probably in a similar position of where we were uh, around 1980-2000 time. So we knew they had fantastic players that we couldn't take for granted, but we wanted to make a statement and go to Croke Park and, and win our first championship game there uh, for quite a while. And the, for that current group of players, that was an opportunity for us to do it. We didn't manage to do it that day. We we ended up throwing with Sligo, and we're lucky uh, to come away with the draw in the end. Yeah, you know we, we got off to a great start. We went a couple of points back. Our up on the month, Sligo just kept chipping away at the scores and kept themselves in the game. And and really in the last ten minutes of that game, they had all the momentum. And um, if you remember Dara Magarity when when straight through and goal, um, I always say if I was in that position, I would have certainly uh, pulled the trigger to go for goal. and um, yes. And it would have knocked us out. How how history could have been so cruel uh, to us, you know. But Darren McGuardy opted to fist the ball over the bar, probably the safe option for him. But because he done that, uh, it allowed us uh, the opportunity to see the game out and end up drawn. The replay then was brought to Navin, and probably that game then, uh, it was one of my better games of, of that campaign. I ended up taking five points. All uh, awesome play, and it, bringing that game to Navin, um, you know, gave us an opportunity to like let's let's get back to basics here. You know, we're not playing at Crook Park anymore. Uh, see this game out, get ourselves back into a right frame of mind. You know, you 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 have doubts when when you're when you're playing in in a final and you're going as favourites, yet you come away with a draw. Yeah, so uh, it gave us an opportunity to put those doubts to rest and to get the results, you know, Slego always maintained that they had a good shot for a penalty towards the end of that game but I never ever thought it was a penalty but then um, we ended up beating them and got the ourselves back to Croke Park for an all-Iron semi-final and one to thoroughly look forward to.
0: Yeah, and Dublin of course had uh Disposed of Donegal after a replay. That's right, yeah. And, uh, I remember that well, and, uh, it's, uh, it's funny you should say that because actually in the first game against Dublin, uh, Adrian Sweeney equalled late on to bring Donegal to replay, and I remember actually talking to Adrian about that, uh, after that, and he was saying that he, he had slight regrets of not going for for the goal, but I myself maintained that was, that was the right choice he made, uh, but, uh, the, the Dublin game is, uh, Armagh, is, uh, that was another massive clash of us.
1: Yeah, it was it was a massive massive occasion, and you know I'm often asked, you know, what was the best match you ever played in, or the best um, atmosphere you ever played in, and that game stands out by an absolute mile for me. And um, I always say when you play Dublin and Croke Park, they they bring like a carnival atmosphere to to the whole occasion. Uh, there's always great atmosphere, you know, and the crowd really gets behind them. But also, Armagh at that time had serious uh, support um, following them too, and. Uh, Dublin, if you remember, under Tommy Lance, uh, were yeah. in the crest of wave that whole campaign. You know, Ray Cosgrove was banging in goals every game and certainly they Cairn had a Whelan. lot of momentum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Karen Whelan was, was fantastic as well. Alan Brogan was making his, his, his breakthrough that, that particular year and, and Cluxon as well. So they had a, a lot of experience and youth on the team as well and probably in a similar position to us, you know, a good blend. But both teams went into that game and there really wasn't any favourite. You know, I, I felt that they're really on a level playing field with us. So they were and and having watched the game during uh, lockdown there, it was on T V not too long ago, And um, the first half was certainly a disappointing first half, um compared to what the second half uh, played out to be. But um in the second half when when the going got tough, you know, each team was, was taking score for score and but you know, in, in in the damn moments of the game, you know, you you want somebody to stand up and get the crucial score. And Ashley McConville done that for us, and and it was a massive, massive um, fist of point that that seen seen the game out for us. And we all remember, of course, then the the damn moments of the game when Ray Cosgrove hit the post with the free and that's right. What happened then? But uh, I always say that you know there was three or four of our players reacted to that ball coming off the post. It was our desire. To see that game out that got us over the line and, you know, if, if Dublin at that particular point, the, the maybe, maybe all the Dublin players expected Ray to kick the ball over the bar given the form that he had been in that season, but, you know, they should have probably reacted a wee bit faster and quicker to the ball coming off the post, but it was us that, that done that and and less than five or six seconds later, you know, uh, the whistle went and um, we seen ourselves in the Northern final, but that was, that was a fantastic standout game. Yeah stand out game yeah. uh, you know for me personally um, you, you know there's questions that you're always asked um, when you retire you know what was your favourite game what was your favourite scores the two points I kicked that day were, were number one and two in terms of my favourite scores that I ever I kicked over the bar for Armagh yes. um, under serious pressure men hanging off me and I was able to kick the ball over the bar and for me, the first one was a great settler because the last All-Iron semi-final that I had been in, which was the 2000 All-Iron semi-final, I didn't play particularly well. So that was a good one to get um, settled, in 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 settled into the game, yeah. And Then the one that kicked in the second half was probably my favourite ever. Um, he brought it underneath the Hogan stand, going against himself, and it just connected really well with the ball, and it sailed yeah. over the bar. but. It was it was the fact that you know both teams were very very evenly matched. It was point for point for most of the game. When we, even when we got our goal, Dublin came straight up the field within a minute or two and got their goal. And there was very little between the teams. Um, but you know we we managed to see it out by a point, and we yeah. were sitting in final. Another memory of the of that particular day was when we were leaving Crook Park um, and you're going through the streets of Dublin to to head back north. And um, the Dublin supporters, you know, lined the streets and applauded us and and clapped us, and you know, that's a special feeling. You, you know, you you gain a a level of respect from from their their supporters you don't as forget well. You no, know, you certainly don't forget that, no. and and ever since then, I probably have a a wee bit of a, a an easy feeling for Dublin. So I have.
0: Yeah, well, uh, when they show you that level of respect, and uh, as I say, that t- t- will stick in your mind. And um, yeah. They were quite like it's to beat Dublin in croke Park with their own fans there. I don't think I think like obviously the great the greatest thing of achievement wise was yet to come, but that to beat Dublin in croke Park is is special. I would say.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, to you want to perform in front of massive crowds. That that's what all the training um, is about. You know, you prepare yourself to get yourself into the biggest occasions in Gaelic football, which is playing in front of eighty two thousand people in croke Park. And there's no bigger team to play in front of eighty-two thousand people than, than to play Dublin. Yeah, and big. you know when things go against you, the hill can really get on top of you. But when things go with you, you know you can really use that to your advantage. And you and we 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 just had an ability to um keep that game within our grasp. And and you know looking back now and knowing that we beat Dublin. In an All Ireland semi-final to get to an All Ireland final is fantastic, fantastic achievement, and yeah. you know yeah. you really have to look at that summer. Yes, we had won Ulster, but a lot of the momentum going into that game, and a lot of the favourites tag was with Dublin, so there were probably more pressure on them to put in a performance. Were underdogs but,
0: uh- definitely. We
1: were underdogs, you know, absolutely underdogs and you know, having watched the game again, I, I mentioned earlier on, you know, Ray Cosgrove that day carried on is fantastic run of form because he was he was really, really good. I think he scored six or seven points for Dublin that day. It was just unfortunate for him that it had to end the way it did, but um, not, <laughs> not, not unfortunate not unfortunate no. not from an normal point
0: of view. Definitely not. And then we on, on we go to the to the final itself against Kerry and um You didn't get off to the best of starts in that first half, and in the second half you held Kerry to three points only.
1: Yeah, um, listen, early on in the game it was point for point, and then Kerry had their purple patch and managed to to put a wee bit of daylight between the teams, but even during that spell we were creating opportunities, we weren't as clinical as what Kerry were, but we were creating them, and and that afforded us um, an opportunity at half-time to put a few things right, and, and take confidence from that too and um it was really a case of getting out in the second half and, you know, being more ruthless in front of goals and, and taking our opportunities and, and that's what we've done. I've, I think also a massive, a massive um, change in the second half was Karen McGee pressing on Brosnan um, wherever he went and, and that allowed us to get a stranglehold on the game too and to build more momentum and, yeah. you know, it, it was crucial for us that, you know, we we had to get a goal we definitely had to get a goal and because when you're playing up, against Kerry yeah. Yeah. yeah when you're playing against Kerry in the championship you know goals are critical scores and um, we managed to do that uh, the whole play from the kick out from Benny to to Jammer Marsden um the, all the way up to to Oshin taking a one two back from Paul Green and putting it in the back in net was really the pivotal moment in the game where which allowed us to Opportunity to build on, and you know, from that moment on, we were really confident as a team that we are going to kick on and win even though we were still a point down. And Give you, you know, a belief. Um, it it gave yeah. us the belief and and um, you know, allowed us that that confidence is uh, to kick on.
0: And you kicked the final score yourself, actually, Stephen. <laughs> Yeah, um before before, we go, I think the
1: ball from Ciaran McGinney into Ronan Clark for his point, you know, epitomise what Kieran was all about, long direct ball getting it into the danger area and Ronan Clark as a 19-year-old lad to kick the equalizing point, you know, you can never underestimate the importance of that. Big ball. You know, he he, he he was up against Seamus and who was without a doubt One the best go back in the country at, at the time. Yeah. So he was able to to spin him and Take over the equalising point, which was also Ronan Clark's third point of the final. So that was a massive, massive moment for us too. But yes, the the, the last the last point that we got um, was worked on night after night in the training field. That long diagonal ball, you know, we worked so much uh, on on trying to perfect that there, and for it to work out the way it did, I always say this in the most crucial and pivotal uh, moment of our career, of our season. And um, well I suppose justified the hours upon hours that, of what do we put into to trying to get it right and um you know we had no work was a fantastic uh footballer and, and a really good pass from the ball anyway. So once he got that ball it was a case of me making the right move and, yeah. and I done that and put it on yeah. it went on to my left foot and you know I always felt comfortable kicking off both left or right so it was on my my Big weaker side, and, that, you yeah, know. I mean, it, it, absolutely. You know, I always say now, you know, if you've got a forward or any defender, it doesn't matter what position you play, but if you're able to turn left or right, you know, it, it makes it makes it twice as difficult for somebody to mark you. So, um, I was quite comfortable taking with my left foot, and thankfully, I, I made a good connection, and the ball went over the bar. Yeah, that put us point up. But there's still ten minutes left to That's, play. That yeah. was the unfortunate part.
0: Uh, it must have been pure elation for you when that full time whistle went, Stephen for yourself so, yeah
1: pure relation you know in, in the 10 minutes uh, before that you know Armagh really showed the desire and hunger to get their hands on the ball you know when there was a breaking ball there to be one it was, it was an Armagh player whether well, it be John Toll Tony McEntee Paul McGrane Keir McGeaney whoever it was you know we, we were showing the desire to see the game out and that's what we managed to do and thankfully we held on for dear life to to win by a point
0: yeah massive massive win in, in Armagh history and like what's your memory Stephen of returning to Armagh with the the Sam McGuire and that must have been a very special time for you
1: yeah just just massive massive um sways of orange and white people no matter where we went you know the Carrickdale was our first port of call because even though the Carrickdale is just across the border in County Louth you know we always see it as, as an Armagh hotel anyway and that's where we regularly would have uh, met and and met as, as a as a team anyway so yeah. it was the first place that we stopped off at and um there was thousands upon thousands of people there and, and literally they followed us all around the country. We went from there across to uh, Cross McGlen where once again, you know, you couldn't see any of the green grass in the Cross McGlen <laughs> field. It was just full full of people and, yeah. and then from there through um the countryside and into Armagh city hotel hotel where when we were entering the city of Armagh, we were put into an open top bus and, and that was a special yeah. feeling The reckon that there was up to sixty thousand people in Armagh that evening so the see yeah. the see the the sense of joy in many people's faces young and old and um you know is something that will always live with me yeah
0: that's a very special memory and uh, heroes uh, for eternity. In in mouths, people's eyes, uh, Stephen yourself and all that, the the teammates, and uh, I definitely like to congratulate you on that All Ireland win.
1: Yeah, um, listen, it was certainly a special feeling, and you know, for us, it was it was um, just reward for for the hard work and graft that we had put in not only that year but the previous four or five years to get us to a level where we were confident enough to kick on and win not t-
0: Yes, and that that was the, as I say the the building blocks. Which led to that Absolutely. that day in, yeah. in Crow Park and uh, the final part, Stephen. We're on to and I suppose just to, to touch on 2003 against Tyrone. What? Yeah. Obviously, you've experienced the high of 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 uh, beating Kerry and you've also experienced the low of of the final, and that must be. It's a hard thing. It's a hard pill to swallow. I'd say.
1: Yeah, and listen, any player who's, who's in the same position as myself that has lost the final will always tell you that they'll never, ever get over it, and I'm no different. You know, you'll never get over it. The fact that it was against our, our near-rivals yeah. as well so it makes it that way even more difficult, but listen, it is what it is, and, and I, in sport, you know, you can't win them all, and you have to be man enough to stand up and say, you know... The other team were simply a better team on the, on the day, and they deserved to win it, and and that's what Throne were. They they were a better team. Their performance was at a much better level than what, what ours was, and, and ultimately they deserved to to see it out and win the game. Um, it doesn't make it any easier for us as years away, but that's just the reality of sport. You you have to take the good with the bad, and the bad with the good, and yeah. and, and learn from it, and and you know that's 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 just it. as I say
0: when you reflect on that game, Stephen, like yourself and your teammates, on that after that? Was there anything that you felt you lost? To or any kind of particular reasons why you lost that game in a, sen- in a sense of everyone can be, anyone can be beaten in a match but was there any key yeah. reason why you felt that you just lost that game? Well,
1: I think listen, there was a couple of key moments in the game so there was but I think from a team point of view we were probably, we put ourselves under too much pressure to win and win two in a row you know, we spoke about that time after time that, that year to win and win two in a row and become a really special team and, and by doing that we probably added Extra pressure on our shoulders and, and it didn't allow us to perform to the levels that we had been performing at all year. I always look at 03 in the build up to, uh, all the way up to the final. We played better football throughout 03 than what we did in 02. Um, but listen, uh, in the final then itself, obviously, um, two key talking points were, were Jim or Marsden getting sent off at a critical time for us. Um, he was wrongly sent off, uh, which was later overturned, but too late for us of course and then obviously um, probably the most famous block of them all and uh, myself getting blocked to Conor Vaughn was like, was a key moment and yeah you know I look back at, at it and you know was it a split second delayed by myself I, I don't even know if it was you know I, I don't I felt that I'd done everything right up until the moment I went to pull the, yes. the trigger but in reality uh, and I I didn't see Connor O'Malley coming, and if I had have seen him at the corner of my eye, I always feel that I would have maybe tried to check inside him, and he would have had no option but to put me down. he would have got a penalty, yes. you know. So, um, it's just one of these things, you know. You you learn from it. It was a listen. It was one of the most outstanding blocks you'll ever see. But you, as a as a footballer, I would like to think that I learned from that there and I kicked on and made me a better player. But and um, two they were two critical moments uh, that determined the, the outcome of the game. But that's not taken away from Throne. Throne still were the better team. If if I managed to score a goal there and we came away with it with the draw, um, you know, we would have been very fortunate if, to to have got that draw. Uh, but Throne were a better team and they deserved window.
0: Yeah, Peter Canavan and and, and Cole Got their hand on the on the Sami yeah. of course going on and to have more success again in no O five and but you definitely uh, can hold your heads uh, high in Armagh, Stephen, for for what you've achieved in in O two and and definitely again and reaching the final in O three because that is no mean achievement in itself. It's it's uh, definitely a, for anyone that um, it's it's a it's a hard task. I'd imagine to to get yourself up and go again.
1: Yeah, listen, um, that team as I said, um, we had plenty of. Desire and hunger to be successful and to to bring many great days to to our faithful and um you know having that desire and having the leadership at the top table um, allowed us to go and perform uh, and to get ourselves you know into a situation where we were competing at the top for the top honors uh, for for quite a while um you know do I have regrets in my career? Absolutely, you always have re- regrets. But am I forever grateful for the one All Ireland that I won. Absolutely, yeah. you know. Can't I'm part you. of the one. I'm part of the one and only Armagh team to ever win an All Ireland. Yeah. So you know three. that that can never be taken away. And. Um, no. Should that Armad team have ever won more allowance? I would say yes, absolutely. We, we, we missed out. I wouldn't even say that 03 in the final was one of the most obvious standouts. I would say 2005 was the one for me, 2004 even, you know, the, the three years after 03, 04, 05, 06, we had opportunities then. I, I, I really wholeheartedly believe that the Armagh team of 2005 was the best Armagh team of all time. and We were just on a different level that particular year. We went 16 games unbeaten until Peter Canavan kicked over win winning point against us in the semi-final. And that was from the National League. We, we won the National League that year right through the All-Ireland semi-final. So there was something really special about that team. And if we had have seen that semi-final out, I would have no doubt we would have kicked on and won the All-Ireland as well. But listen, there's regrets. But, you know, when you look back in your career and you see that there was a lot of successes too, and a lot of friendships made, then you have to hold your head up, eh?
0: Definitely something you can certainly do, and your teammates and our man. Stephen, before I round off the interview, uh, I just want to, like as, as a Manchester United fan, it's kind of hard for me to acknowledge this, but I thought it'd only be fair. <laughs> I thought it'd only be fair in doing it, and uh, congratulating. Uh, you know you support Liverpool, so the 30 years of hurt is over for you.
1: Yeah, finally, finally. Um, I wouldn't say thirty years of hurt because we we John managed indeed. to win a couple of Euro- year European cups in in that time. But, um, yes. Uh, listen, finally get over the line to to see the league out and, and to win the, the Premier League. Uh, I think it's a it's an important statement for for that Liverpool team probably. Weave it similar to our man '99, you know, it was a case of, of getting back to the top table and winning major honours. And um, Liverpool have now done that, and hopefully they can uh, learn from what we done and kick on them with many more uh, titles in not. the years to come. <laughs> Listen, I I, I've, I've come from a family where my two elder brothers and my father are all Man United, so I was the, the black sheep of the house that supported Liverpool. But so down through the years, I've heard it all and I've listened to it all. so yes. um, you know, I'm I'm getting sweet revenge now I can tell you Enjoy but it, listen, in, in reality in reality as a sports person and a sports fan, you have to admire um football played well and any genuine football fan will look at that Liverpool team and say they all, they really, really thoroughly deserve it. Oh, um, you they can't are the annoyed. most exciting they, yeah. they are the most exciting team in, in the league and you know when you when you you go twenty four Odd points, um, up yeah, in stunning, your next, like, your stunning. team. You know, it's, 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 a serious achievement, and yeah. um, probably, you know, um, what, what, what allowed Liverpool the confidence was the last couple of seasons what they went and achieved they went to two Champions League finals they, right. they missed out narrowly last year by a point and, and there's a bit of hurt there and with that hurt you gain confidence and with the confidence then you can kick on and play, take your game to new levels and, and Liverpool have done that
0: yeah definitely so I actually believe uh, personally that you were very unlucky not to win it last season because you yeah. took a freakish shot from Vincent Company, who Vincent Company, that's right. Yeah. Who wouldn't be known as a striker now in that area of the field and uh, so uh, I remember that last couple of months last season Season where Liverpool and City literally matched each other win for win, and yeah, uh, and, and and it also it also
1: shows the importance of losing a leader like Vincent Kompany from the team as well, you know, and, and Man City have never really replaced him, you know, no. he was the driving force in those games for Man City to keep getting results and grinding hard out replacing. results. hard to replace, absolutely, yeah,
0: definitely hard to replace. But uh, definitely Jurgen Klopp has brought something special to Liverpool, and th- th- to be quite honest with you, when I seen the work that he done with Dortmund. Um, yeah. I was watching that Dortmund team over a number of years and um, the football that they were playing, when he came into Liverpool, there was a sinking feeling that came to me that <laughs> this guy was going to be the guy that was going <laughs> to... You know, I just knew that he, he'd, uh, he's a technician and the way that he the, r- the relationship he has with the players.
1: Yeah. Um, Listen, he's a very charismatic manager. He, he has a great rapport with the players, but he also has a great rapport with the supporters and, and the club as a whole. But not only that, I, I, I would imagine... That um, you know, fans from other clubs look at Jurgen Klopp and envy as well, and say, you know, he, he is he is the type of manager you'd love managing your own team. He's the type of manager you'd love to play under because yeah. you'd really feel that you would get the, he would get the best out Where's of you. Where does
0: Harkness leave?
1: You know, uh, he, he does, and yeah. you know, um, you know, I think I think his energy that he has, he he really. Ignites a spark within the team to to play with that type of energy and, and love for the club as well, and um, you know it certainly has. He, he's been the difference. He's been the key difference. There is no you know. A couple of years ago, when when he was letting Philip Coutinho go, you know, I was really worried. You know, where do we lay because Coutinho was a massive player for Liverpool back then. But uh, Jurgen Klopp seen the the vision for Liverpool, he went and bought Van Dijk. He went and bought Allison with the Allison backer with the with the money and. Um, that he got from Coutinho, for Coutinho and it, I mean, that, there, was, was, that was, exactly that was the platform that yeah. Liverpool really needed needed to build at the back to I suppose allow their attacking options to flourish as well and, and that's what he that's what he's seen
0: yeah definitely uh, can't, I can't disagree with that uh, Stephen and uh, yeah uh, it must be nice because after 30 years who would have thought it just shows you sport the way it works like 1990 you know, to, to think that uh, Liverpool because Liverpool had a good, had a good team in 1990, and to go, yeah. to go that long, that's just the way that the sport uh, operates. But uh, Stephen, the, the final question I'm going to ask you is: uh, Who would you say, if you would to pinpoint, the least favourite man that you used to come across in a field and go, "Oh no, not you again"? <laughs> that man. Many of those guys. Many, there
1: are definitely many of those guys. Listen. Um, I always say Andy McNulty was the player that made me the corner forward I became, and um, simply because we give each other hell every night in training. Um, but if if you're looking at opposition teams, um, I mentioned earlier on that you know I always always found that uh, defenders from our own province in Ulster were a lot tighter than any other province. Yes, I probably I would probably pick out um, two players. Kevin McGuckin from Derry was always a very good man marker. And a great footballer, um, along with that there, um, not a dirty player in any shape or form, but a player who, who wanted to play football, but he, he always had a good knack of having a hand on you all the time. And the other player would, would be Ryan McCluskey from Fermanagh. Yes. You know, um, Fermanagh players probably often overlooked uh, things like this here, but me and Ryan, down three years, had some fantastic and epic battles and... I always respected Ryan as a footballer, another player who became, I suppose, um, like a quarterback for that, for Man team in, in in the later years of his career, moving out to six. But he was a fantastic uh, cornerback as well, and a really tight, sticky man marker, and, and a player who had his when his, when he had his hands on the ball, um, could really, you know, make things happen uh, for his teammates as well.
0: That's two interesting answers, there, Stephen, and uh, definitely Ulster. Uh, there was no such thing as space wouldn't
1: uh, no no listen I I come up against many tight defenders Ram McManamon's another one you know the the list could be endless Uh, Carl Lacey another one but you know I think the battles that I had with those two players in particular were were certainly um,
0: worthwhile well Stephen that uh, has has been a pleasure interviewing you for the last uh, hour or so and uh, lovely to hear your stories on the on the past with Armand with and your opinion of, of the team of the future and uh, I would like to congratulate you on all that you've achieved as a player and what you achieved with man. Uh, it's definitely uh, highly impressive and uh, I would like to wish you and your family well at this current time as well, the COVID-19. Thanks very much Tony, it was a pleasure. Uh, yeah and uh, Lovely speaking to you, and uh, I even had to bring up the Liverpool topic.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I suppose when you're coming up against a Liverpool fan, you have to bring it
0: up. I now, have to bring it up. The, given the times we're in. I thought I had to bring it up, yeah. But Stephen, uh, all the very best to you, and uh, thanks for your time. Stay on the lookout for the next episode. And uh, from me, Tony McGedigan, and uh, Mr. Steve McDonnell, it's Goodbye. <music>